0: And welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete. I'll start the show by saying how massively exciting it was for Get Flushed to be featured on the podcast radio hour on the BBC in London this week. If you haven't tuned in, Amanda Litherland hosts a weekly show on BBC4 Extra where she recommends her favourite podcasts and talks to the people who make them. Amanda sent a tweet last week asking for listeners to recommend specialist or niche podcasts. Well, I don't think you get much more niche than portable sanitation. So I replied to a tweet with a nod for Get Flushed. And in the early hours of Tuesday morning, I got a message from Amanda asking if she could feature the show. Well, I don't mind telling you, I was so excited that I had to wake my wife up to tell her. Thank you to Amanda and her co-host Becca Bryars, who had this to say about Get Flushed.
1: second podcast that we're going to mention today it's kind of similar, this one is also related to a world of work that you are definitely aware of but you probably don't know that much about this podcast is called Get Flushed and it is the first and only podcast apparently to examine the portable sanitation industry (laughs) Um, but it's basically uh, conversations with suppliers and operators but also customers and users of portable toilets Uh, the description says if you're in the Industry, or if you've ever used or hired a portable toilet, then this show is for you. Um, and it's made by a guy called Pete, and he talks to people in the industry all over the world. But
0: before we go, let's ask, what is the correct term for someone who cleans portable toilets? Well, the obvious answer is Kenny, after the movie of the same name. Now, if you're in the industry, you've probably seen it, and you'll know exactly what I mean. And if you haven't, well, check it out and watch it this weekend. When frontline roles are advertised, they typically use terms like Applied Hygiene Specialist, Portable Sanitation Technician or Pump Truck Driver. But the people who do this job that I know are pretty down to earth and most of them keep it simple, they call themselves poo men, even if they're women. It's not a derogatory term, people in this job take pride in what they do and calling each other a poo man is almost a term of endearment and it lets everybody know what you do. Hey, I'm a poo man.
1: So that's get flushed. I mean it sounds kind of gross or hilarious, but it's actually just a really interesting factual podcast. And like I don't know about you, Becca, but like I'm really fascinated by jobs like that where it's kind of things that you use all the time, but you never hear about the people that make it happen.
2: Absolutely. And I have to say, I was at a festival last year where they had the compost lose. So it all just kind of drops. Down, and the theory is that it 's supposed to last for the whole weekend, but it, it didn 't, so we saw them having to come and empty it, and of course, they were like cleaning around it and I did think i 'm not sure i 'd want that as a job, even if I you know managed to get no. free access to a festival, so like massive respect for them, and actually, <laughs> just listening to a bit of this podcast kind of answers some of the questions I had because I was like. I feel like it's a bit of a risky job. I mean, no one likes getting into a portly, really. You want to be in there for a minimum amount of time because you feel mm-hmm. like you're going to catch something. And they yeah. actually went into the fact in this episode that you know you should have these kind of booster injections if you are working in that environment. And it's just practical stuff like that that kind of answered yeah. a few questions that I I kind of didn't realise I had, but in the lodged in the back of my brain from queuing for the lose last summer. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's like a really specialised profession and all these risks that you don't know about. And um, it's a really interesting podcast that's called Get Flushed.
0: Hearing Amanda and Becca's comments about the festival experience is exactly why I started the podcast. You know, I've put so much time and effort into producing Get Flushed that even one like or positive review feels like a major win. And to hear that segment broadcast on the BBC, well, that's just up there with the best. So thank you to Amanda and Becca, and if anyone is listening to Get Flush for the first time because they heard that review, well welcome to our show. Last week I started to talk about events, which I described as one-off special occasions that are fixed in time and duration. With that in mind, I want to think about how we move large numbers of plastic portable toilets to and from events. I'll look at more specific event details like toilet setup and layout, mid-event servicing, security and other sanitation systems in later episode. But today, the show is all about how we get toilets from A to B and back again. Now it doesn't matter if we're moving toilets 2 miles or 100 miles, the principles are the same. And I'm basing everything I talk about today on my experiences and my conversations with other providers. Now I know companies that have moved toilets from one end of New Zealand to the other to meet event demand. They've done it in-house with their own trucks, trailers and staff and they've outsourced it to freight or haulage companies. The overall aim is to get the job done efficiently and effectively and within budget. Now sometimes they've got that right and other times they haven't. When you ask a freight company for a quote they want to know two things, the volume and the weight of the cargo. My number one no exceptions golden rule is that I never move a portable toilet if it contains waste. Never. Without the waste, an empty plastic toilet typically weighs around 90 kilograms or 200 pounds. So as a rough guide, you'll get 10 or 11 toilets to the metric tonne. Now, A portable toilet cabin usually measures around 1.2 metres or 4 feet square and 2.3 metres or 7.5 feet tall. And that gives them a volume of 3.3 cubic metres or 4.3 cubic yards. When you move lots of toilets, the volume is more important than the weight because there are limits to the width and length of the trucks and trailers you can use on the public highway. And with very few exceptions, you can't collapse toilet cabins or fold them up to make them smaller. And you can't stack them too high because, well, one, they're not designed for that, and two, you'd be over the maximum permitted height on the road, which is usually around 4.3 metres or 14 feet. The international standard for the maximum width of road vehicles is around 2.5 meters plus an extra five or 10 millimeters for load fasteners. And that means you can only load plastic portable toilets too wide on a truck or trailer. The only way you can carry more toilets in each load is to use a longer truck and a longer trailer. But your options are limited there because the maximum length allowed for truck and trailer combination in New Zealand is 22 meters or 24 yards. In practical terms, those limits mean you can usually carry 10 or 12 toilets on a truck and something like 18 or 20 on a trailer. Any more than that and you start to run out of length. You can extend the deck of a trailer by fitting a shorter drawbar, but short drawbars can be really problematic. They make it hard to turn and reverse the trailer, especially if you're using a vehicle like a U or a pickup which has a really poor turning circle. With a short drawbar, the sweet spot when you're reversing is really fine and the trailer will jackknife as soon as you go beyond it. And that usually results in the front corner of the trailer, hitting the back corner of the towing vehicle, causing damage to the lights, the bumper, the fender, or the jockey wheel. So practically speaking, anything beyond 28 or 30 toilets in a single load is really pushing the envelope. And anyone who's driven a truck will know that that will leave you vulnerable if you get stopped on the road by an over-enthusiastic traffic cop and let's be honest, they're out there. Of course, there'll always be someone who can move 34 toilets, but my point is that you need to take 90 or 100 toilets to and from an event, you'll need to make at least three or four trips each way. If you decide to outsource the freight, you'll be charged a direct cost by the hauler. Ideally, you can pass that on to the customer or client, but in my experience, they don't always have the appetite or the budget to absorb the full cost of freight. Talking with local haulage contractors, freight in New Zealand is typically charged at $100 per hour for a truck and $150 per hour for a truck and trailer. And on top of that, you'll be charged between $3.50 and $4 for every kilometre of travel. And on top of that, you'll pay sales tax or GST at 15%. And remember that hourly rate applies from the moment the truck leaves its own depot to the time it gets back again or arrives at the next job so loading and unloading time has also got to be factored in. Let's put that into a practical example. We've won the contract to supply 100 toilets to a local fair and decide to use a haulage company. They can get 32 toilets on each load, so three loads is 96, but we're gonna take four toilets to the site ourselves in advance for the setup crew. The total distance traveled on each trip by the hauler is 20 kilometers and will allow four hours for each load, That's one and a half hours to get to our yard and load, one hour for driving to site, and one and a half hours to get back home. And I say, this is just a rough example. If we price that, $150 times four hours is $600, 20 kilometers at 350 is $70, and 15% sales tax is $100. So that's $770 for each load. And three loads would be $2,310. And then we have to double that for the pack out. So that will give us a grand total of $4,620 in freight charges alone. That's an extra $46 per toilet on top of the hire and service charge. And I'll stress that these are real prices. I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but you're going to have a hard time selling that amount of freight to an event customer in New Zealand. Using a hauler also means you need someone at both ends to load and unload the toilets, just to be safe. I've certainly seen toilets that are unloaded and left on the ground by the driver. At a big event with lots of crew on site during the pack-in, those toilets will be used by scaffolders and riggers before they're prepped and filled with water ready for use. And that'll be okay if they manage to use them without smearing poo all over the sea or peeing on the floor, but they usually can't. Commercial heavy trucks also have a relatively high deck height. Usually it's more than a metre above the ground. And that makes it hard to load and unload toilets manually, even if you're using a trolley. If you use a forklift, there's always a danger that an inexperienced loader will rush and accidentally put the forks through the base or tank. That happens, and when it does, you don't usually find out until partway through the event when a puddle of foul-smelling waste seeps out from beneath the cabin. On grass, you won't notice until you remove the toilet from sight, but on concrete or tarmac, you will. Now if you move the toilets in-house you need the right resources, staff, trucks and trailers. Now for staff you can either redeploy your Monday to Friday crew into event work or you can use temp staff or a mixture of both and I spoke about that last week. And yes you can use any truck or any trailer to move a few toilets but once you start moving lots and lots you need a purpose built and carefully designed setup. Now New Zealand is a really small economy and we don't really have any specialist stores where you can rock up and buy a toilet trailer off the shelf or showroom floor. In fact, it used to be really hard to buy lots of things off the shelf here like you can in Europe or the US. Historically, portable toilet companies may do with just a standard trailer or a standard truck or they built their own. A few years ago, I worked with Colin Hitchin at Lockhill Trailers who are based in Winton at the bottom of the South Island in New Zealand to design the perfect trailer to transport toilets. Now Lockheel have been in business for a long time and there's not much Colin doesn't know about trailers and they build really good quality gear. When we talked about what was required, we agreed some priorities. The first was a low deck kite to make it easy to load and unload toilets with a trolley. Ideally for me, that would be about 600 mil or two feet. Sure, you can go higher and you can go lower, but two feet seemed to be a good height and meant that we could get some decent sized wheels underneath. We also wanted the trailers to be evenly balanced and easy to move, forwards and backwards, under tow and by hand. That meant suspension on each axle, brakes all round, an electric brake controller we could adjust while driving and a decent length drawbar that wouldn't jackknife. We also asked for a sturdy jockey leg with a proper wheel and a rubber tyre, not a cheap plastic thing that would split the first time we used it and we decided to galvanise the chassis because however careful you are with paint it fades and chips and the steel underneath will rust. The third element on our list was a deck surface that would let toilets slide on and off but wasn't so slippery that it was hard to keep the toilets in place while we were driving. We could have used aluminium tread plate or marine ply but we decided on inch thick wooden boards. They provide good resistance but not so much you can't slide a toilet around the only downside is that they can be easily damaged by a clumsy loader in a forklift. We also wanted the ability to mount our dangerous goods placards on the back of the trailer when the toilets are on board and to remove that sign really quickly when they weren't. That was important because once they've been used for the first time, portable toilets are classed as dangerous goods even if they're empty and the fines for travelling without the correct placards and documentation soon add up. In 2017, one company here was fined $10,000 for travelling without placards or papers with just four empty toilets on board. And finally, we wanted to transport toilets without needing to strop them down. Stropping toilets causes wear and tear, especially on the side seams and roof. Back in episode 1, I said that modern portable toilet cabins were made from quite thin polyethylene sheets Well those sheets are really flexible and they're liable to bend under tension from a strop and that gets even more pronounced when you're driving into a howling nor'wester or a screaming southerly is trying to push you off the road. Now toilets aren't very aerodynamic and they generate a lot of windage or resistance and that force when you're travelling at 90km an hour is really high. The bend and flex causes strops to work loose and that can allow toilets to move out of line or worst case scenario you lose one overboard and there have been a number of fatal collisions around the world caused by toilets falling off trucks or trailers during transit. They include a motorcyclist who died in Texas in August 2005, a female driver who died in Florida in July 2010, and a French driver who was killed in New Zealand in March 2015. With properly designed equipment and well-secured loads, that type of incident is less likely to occur. (laughs) For those of you who are not familiar with load restraints, boxed loads are usually secured on a truck or trailer with strops, that's a long length of heavy nylon webbing, it usually has a clasp or hook on one end that's secured to a fixing eye or load rail. The strop is thrown over the load and tightened at the other end with a spring loaded ratchet, and any surplus or loose end is rolled up and tied off to prevent it blowing in the wind. A load of 10 toilets carried side by side in two rows of five usually needs seven strops. One over the top of each pair, one around the front to stop them sliding forwards when you brake, and one around the back to stop them sliding backwards when you accelerate. On a short local run you can probably get away with just five, one strop over each pair of toilets. But there's more risk that you have to brake sharply in town than there is on the state highway, so I'd always like to travel with the full seven. And the penalty for an insecure load here is up to $2,000 for the driver and $10,000 for the company and more if you cause an accident that leads to somebody being injured or killed. Now fixing strops takes time even for an experienced crew with good technique. And throwing strops definitely requires good technique. I'm right-handed and I like to hold the clip in my left hand and the rolled strop in my right hand. I stand sideways on, aim for the cutout in the centre of the roof and I heft a straight arm lob, preferably with the wind behind me. With practice and luck, you'll nail it first time. After five or six failed attempts on a blustery day, you give the job to the temp and go for a cup of tea. Another option is to use a restraining bar or guard that slides in or folds down over the protruding skids or feet on the base of each toilet. In many cases, it's really common to use that type of system without using additional strops. Systems that use restraining bars can work really well. The bars are fairly easy to fix in place and it can usually be done in much less time than it takes to fasten a single strop. However, it may not work if there are any variations in the size and shape on the bases or skids on your toilets or if your fleet includes a mixture of toilets with plastic or wooden bases. Even when they're on the same model of toilet produced by the same manufacturer, not every base is the same size or shape, and small variations in size can cause problems with a skid restraint system. A few years ago, I lost a toilet from a trailer on a straight stretch of highway. We had some older 10-bay trailers with retaining bars that had been designed and built for one particular model of toilet. Over time, the company bought different makes and models of toilets, but they kept using the same trailers. On this particular day, we loaded up with 10 brand new toilets and set off. As we drove along, the front passenger side toilet flexed in the wind and popped clear of the retaining bar. It spun off like the TARDIS in Doctor Who. It turned out that the base on those toilets was 20mm shorter from front to rear than the base on the older models, less than an inch. That allowed the toilet to move about in the wind and eventually popped it free of the restraint. After that, it was never going to stay on the trailer. Now, thank goodness we were the only vehicle on the road and that toilet came off the passenger side. It landed on the verge without causing any harm. But that was the day I started to strop every toilet every time and start my search for a better restraint solution. When I explained my concerns to Colin, he suggested that we use vertical stanchions or restraints. He cut the wooden deck slightly short on the side rails and welded square receivers into the gap. Those receivers took an upright post and each post had three wings or ears that prevented the toilets from moving. Now that's quite hard to explain but it was like three letter P's welded together back to back. Two at 180 degrees and one at a right angle. The system worked really well. The stanchions were held in place with a spring-loaded pin so they could be removed really easily and we could load the toilets really quickly with just a trolley. When it comes to loading toilets I'm definitely a doors-facing-in guy It's best practice to lock the doors because an unlocked door will open further in the wind and the cabin will billow or act as a windbreak or sail. You can physically see the sides bulge and it doesn't take much for that force to pop the toilet from its restraints. Unloading toilets with doors in keeps the moving parts away from your face and trust me I've had more than one smack in the mouth from an unlocked door on a toilet that had been loaded doors out. Moving toilets with your own in-house team does appear to offer some really tangible benefits. You would hope that your team will handle the toilets with more care than a subcontracted loader driver and with experience their performance will really improve, give them the right equipment and the job times will definitely start to come down. The downside is that you'll need to buy or lease the trucks and trailers and that creates an ongoing cost. That's okay if you use them on a regular basis, but for the occasional job, you'll find yourself paying for underutilized equipment. And if your main business is routine regular servicing, you need to make sure that your event work doesn't compromise the service you give to your valuable weekly clients. And when you use trailers, you'll also need to make sure you train your staff. Not everybody is comfortable towing a long load, and even fewer people can reverse a trailer. The best trailer I've ever used was one owned by Colin at Lockhill. It had an 11 meter deck and four axles. The front pair were mounted on a turntable and that was great because you could spin it on a dime. The layout meant that it would take 20 toilets and it was perfectly balanced because it didn't put any vertical weight down onto the tow ball. The only downside was that because it was articulated not many of our people could reverse it and that was actually an upside because it meant I usually got that job instead. And so that's the end of the beginning of my look at how we move large numbers of toilets from A to B and back again. Sadly, the effects of COVID mean that the majority of large scale events around the world have been cancelled in 2020. But trust me, this is a great opportunity for providers to assess their equipment and their technique and think about if and how they're going to compete when the event world starts to get back on its feet. And as I said at the start, I'll go deeper into the world of events in future episodes of the show. Next week, I'm interviewing more guests. Those interviews include the team in charge of my local wastewater treatment work, Tony Volput, General Coach in Canada, and Roy Bearing at Texan Site Services in the US. And next week, I'll also have some exciting news to share about the software I saw when I went to visit Prestige Lose in Auckland for episode 16. So all in all, we've still got some brilliant episodes to come before the end of the series. And once again, thank you to Amanda Litherland and Becca Briers at the BBC Podcast Radio Hour for including Get Flushed in their show. I'll leave a link to their show in the notes for today's episode. Please remember to tell at least one family member, friend, colleague or stranger all about Get Flushed and encourage them to listen in. Once again, I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed.